Those are magnificent old fine great classics in the American tradition. Bring it up, Tony, please. You have here a letter. It says, uh, Shepard, who the hell listens to you? Well, now that's a direct question, and I'll have to answer that as best I can. Among those who listen to me is obviously my letter writer. Uh, speaking of, of, of the great, uh, the great, uh, I, I, I think uh, a, a, somebody has coined a beautiful expression to cover this. Uh, my friend Roger Price, one of my oldest friends, and, and Roger, uh, you know you know him as a cartoonist, the guy that does the droodles and all that, but actually he's a very funny, sardonic guy in his own private life. And uh, one of his great... Uh, phrases is the great boob revolution. Uh, he, he likes to call people rubes. The great rube, excuse me, not boob, the great rube ru uh, revolution. And uh, he's, he, he, he's con continually concerned with the, with the rube. Uh, now, for example, he has a book out recently, and I'm not plugging this book. I'm simply saying here's a typical example of what, of what we're talking about. Rube conversation. Where the classic rube was traditionally taciturn or laconic, the new basic rube is a talker. A basic conversation consists of two or more of them taking turns reciting what has happened to them recently. In order of importance, the subjects of these continual rube recitals are 1. TV 2. How much they had to drink last Saturday night or the last time they were in Chicago 3. Quote, interesting facts, or as usually pronounced, interesting, interesting facts about automobiles, prices of, routes, and mileage. Four, interesting facts about job. Five, sports, male only. Five, A, kids. Home furnishings, hairsprays, other people's kids, home furnishing. That's female only, female room. Six, food, where eaten, size of portions. And prices of seven opinions, almost invariably don't like, about politics, celebs, and prices. <laughs> now, basic humor. Uh, the basic is usually a good-natured person that has a sense of humor. Unfortunately, his lack of information or data about the non-rube aspects of the world drastically limits his ability to appreciate it. He automatically resents any jokes which he doesn't understand. However, he will laugh easily at those he does, including those which make fun of himself, but not of his culture. He enjoys repeating dirty stories when he can remember them. My favorite type of, of uh, basic rube, if I may uh, use, uh, if I may use uh, uh, Roger Price's uh, lexicon, and in fact, this is the kind of rube that I, I don't know quite how. Hey, Nick, how are you at handling this kind of rube? We're talking about the rube revolution. 
you know, the basic rube. By the way, the basic medium of the rube is television. And, and, and the rube, if given his choice, would gladly elect Walter Cronkite president. And uh, he, he, would, uh, he would love to see Secretary of State, uh, a deep thinker like uh, Dick Cavett. That would make a great Secretary of State. <laughs> that's, that's basic, uh, basic rube uh, ideology. And uh, his politics generally are against. He's, he's generally against most everything that's happening. And so any candidate that runs on an against platform is a sound candidate to a rube. Now, uh, a, typical, a typical example of, of, of rube humor is a uh, guy, you, back, you come back by the water cooler, you can always tell, he gets this, this lascivious look in his eyes, he says, hey, and you say, what, Rube? He says, hey, listen. He says, did you hear the one? And he looks around, he's skulkingly, to make sure that no chick from the steno pool is around. He says, hey, listen, did you hear the one about the, the bartender and the, uh, the bull-legged dachshund and the three defrocked Franciscan monks on Third Avenue? Well, I wanted to... Of course, it doesn't do you any good to say, yeah, I have not only heard it, I have heard five million variations of the same rotten, stinking, crummy story. Stop it, will you? Now, the worst problem is how to assume a position uh, with the face. Uh, what, what do you do with your face when a rube is telling you a boring, long, endless, a totally pointless, dirty story? Now, now, what do you do? Well, uh, generally what happens is the left side of my face starts to tingle. It, uh, it starts to go to sleep. I find my face getting sort of hard around the edges, and I stand there, and it goes on and on. Now, salesmen are often given to this kind of thing. Uh, we have several, yes, uh, a sa- and by the way, he considers himself a, a man of rapier-like wit. Uh, rarely, uh, rarely does a, does a, <laughs> you want to hear some more, uh, <laughs> listen, you want to hear what the, uh, what, what Roger says, you want to hear what Roger says about information, the See, this is basic facts of, of culture, rube culture. Now, here, here's, here's the information that the rube has at his disposal, basic information. In spite of the basics compulsion, now he refers to them in his book as basic, the basic rube. In spite of the basics compulsion to make instant and categoric judgments about everything, and by the way, this is, this is, a, this is a, the most consistent quality of the rube. He has very few points of reference upon which to base his opinion. Although the odds are five to one that he is a high school graduate, his lack of general information is blood-curdling. He recognizes a few names, but often has no specific idea of who they really are. He knows Hemingway was a writer, but does not know his first name or anything he ever wrote, excluding a few selected handful of television and film personalities no more than four presidents and or presidential aspirants, and a clutch of active sports figures, he knows with any degree of assurance only one. Here are the people he knows about. George Washington. Tarzan. (laughs) Napoleon. Snoopy. Picasso. Shakespeare. Hemingway. Julius Caesar. Abe Lincoln. Freud, the Jolly Green Giant, Rembrandt, Winston Churchill, David and Goliath, that's in parentheses, <laughs> A. Hitler, Billy Graham, Mickey Mouse. Now, do you want to know some of the basic status symbols of rubes? Cameras. Rubes wear camera straps as if they were Legion of Honor ribbons. 
Formica. Combination stereo and color TV sets. Goldfish tanks with plastic plants and orange plastic castles. Cultured pearls, female. Salt and pepper shakers shaped like female breasts. Nutcrackers shaped like female thighs. Lawn flamingos, a real oil painting done by a female relative. Ashtrays from Hawaii, Mexico, or the Caribbean, or any nearest World's Fair. <laughs> now, do you want to hear what the basic drink of a rube is? Now, do you fit into any of these things? Basic drink, all cola drinks and coffee. Bottled or canned beer. Seven and seven is considered a very, is considered a, a, uh, a, a very uh, sophisticated drink. That's Seagram's Seven Crown and Seven Up which is an incredibly bad conversation. Rye and ginger, vodka and orange juice. Basic cuisine for any special occasion, steak, and only steak. Otherwise, French fried anything with ketchup. Barbecued anything, instant anything. Pizzas, spaghetti, and constantly at any place at any time, hamburgers. Basic and their basics and their families eat a lot of cold cereals with milk, but seldom drink milk or eat cheese except on a burger after they're ten years old. Do you hear that? They seldom drink milk or eat cheese except on a burger after they're ten years old. In Chinese restaurants, they always have egg rolls, chow mein, and chop suey. They never ever order anything in a restaurant that they haven't had before. That is absolutely basic. <laughs> How about basic hobbies of rubes? Do you like this one? Basic hobbies. In addition to talking and drinking, the basic rube is addicted to a number of other leisure time activities. One of the more specialized of these hobbies is A, gawking. Whenever there is a disaster, rubes rush from their homes into their cars, and within a matter of minutes, they have clogged the highways making it difficult, if not impossible, for legitimate personnel, ambulances, and fire trucks to get there. <laughs> that is a basic rule. <laughs> Once on the scene, they line up by the thousands and stare for hours at the building where the old lady was decapitated, at the spot in the ocean where the airplane crashed and sank with 125 on board, or the seven-car auto wreck. They consider it a major triumph if they arrive in time to see actual bodies or blood. Strangely enough, many of them become queasy at the sight of blood, but this doesn't in the slightest deter them in their rush to view it. If not restrained by the police, they will grab buttons, fragments of the plane, even the victim's shoes as, quote, souvenirs. They snap each other's photos in front of the spot where the tragedy occurred. They buy hot dogs from the vendors who invariably show up, even at 3 a.m. They drink whiskey from half-pint bottles. It's carnival time. <laughs> B, this is the second uh, rube activity, bowling. Bowling is to rubes what fox hunting was to the British aristocracy. It offers them a chance to drink and smoke while they exercise, and they can bring along their women. <laughs> you see, general, older basics have an admirable tendency, inherited from their classic rube parents, to build stuff. They have power tools. 
They build walls and patios in their backyards. They rewire their houses. They rebuild automobiles, sometimes spending fantastic effort on ingenious and incredibly powerful monstrosities for display at drag strips. They operate and will often build their own boats. Unfortunately, many of their children, now that's the older group, see, many of them, many of their children, those who have been born in the city, are losing their instinct to do it yourself. They may buy or rent boats and still have a strong interest in automobiles, but they seldom redesign them at any extent and generally buy them just to wreck them or trade them in. They show their interest mostly by watering them with a hose on Saturday afternoons. <laughs> D, sports biz. That's one word. Sports biz is his third uh, major leisure activity. Although mouse catching is no longer necessary for urban pussycat survival, kittens will stalk and pounce on bits of paper, and little boys will yell. Perhaps more relevantly, bang, you're dead. The young of all species attempt to learn in their play the skills they will need to survive as adults. Young men in ancient times would play at battle. This mock sport, mock battle, was called sport. Excluding rock throwing and wife kicking, the first sport was undoubtedly wrestling. In a few thousand years, other activities put into the times were developed. Javelin throwing, competition for swords and staves, archery, running, various team games played with the ball and juicing on horseback. In this way, men learned techniques, tested their courage, and strengthened their back muscles. It was all very practical. Today, however, instead of sports, we now have sports biz. Boy, if that isn't true. And, of course, it's, uh, I, I'd like to throw in my little hooker here that in, uh, in addition to sports biz, the, you know, the competitors and so on, sports biz includes a whole host of, uh, you might say, uh, unified barnacles that attach themselves to sports biz. The commentator, the guy who interviews uh, Joe Namath in the halftime, the innumerable guys named Jim who wear these uh, CBS blazers who show up in Garmisch Partenkirchen with earphones on their heads. And the, there's, every, every network in the world now has a man named Rune Arledge. I think there's a, a, a factory where you buy them, you know. And he's, he's in charge of all sports biz. And uh, that's a new thing. I don't think he's, he's mentioned this because, incidentally, included in that is the new rash of uh, vicarious outdoor shows. So guys who no longer, you know, it's a drag to drive all the way up to Maine to fish for a fish and have a catch. And, and you know, it's dull, too. It rains, you know. So what you do is watch Rip Torn, a fish with Rock Hudson and, uh, you know, the, uh, and Joe Foss. And they never miss. They always catch him, you see. And, uh, and so it's become, that is, is part of sports biz, and incidentally is part of the rude world. He says, today we have sports biz, athletic competitions held as were the Roman spectacle, not for the benefit of the competitors, but for the spectators, the plebeians, using the classic Roman term. We are letting someone else do it for us. Our play, like almost everything else in our mass culture, is done by specialists who perform on the telly so that millions of weekend fans can sit at home in their T-shirts, holding millions of cans of beer, and be vicariously involved. Americans have long been accused of being spectators, but this type of activity is not even spectatorism. It is more accurately indirect spectatorism. Someone else, the box, is even doing our watching for it. An actual trip to a stadium or a ballpark is considered a big adventure. It's done maybe once or twice every couple of years, comparable to and often as exhausting as something they never do is taking an overnight hike. 
It's a big thing. Yeah, well, we went to the stadium one time. I'll never forget. We saw, and we actually saw Phil Rizzuto. As a matter of fact, you know, I go out to Yankee Stadium quite a lot. You know that the that the, the to give you an idea of how this has grown, that the guys who broadcast the games now, because they're really the heroes to the people who watch, because they're they're the intermediary. They're 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 their stars. They're constant, and so the guys that have have. Uh, uh, broadcast them have become bigger heroes than the broadcast than the than the stars. By the way, there must be a whole. Uh, I'm beginning to believe there's a whole stable of Kurt Gowdy. There, there can't be one. He's on at least seven different sports shows a week. You know, this is Kurt Gowdy. He's fishing for golden trout in Alaska, but then he's doing the the, the, the you know the Fig Newton Bowl is being played somewhere. Kurt Gowdy's always on hand, and so Kurt Gowdy is much more important to people today than the people that he reports on. But this is this is true. Uh, this is happening in many other areas. A lot of people believe that a folk singer, for example, is more important than the people she supposedly sings about, or he. Uh, and so, so you find a great host of intermediaries now are springing up. Uh, you, you'll find that in, in uh, let's take politics, let's take this case, that the, that the commentator on the poli- politics, the political scene, is often considered superior to the man he comments on. And certainly that's true in the Broadway theater. The rule believes in critics completely. And, and, uh, <laughs> and you'll find that today on the Broadway scene, of course it's been for a long time, but it's even more so now, that the, that the word of the critic is far more important, and he's much more of a celebrity than the star of the show among the people. In fact, I've been, uh, I'll never forget one night I was, I was um, personally, I was in a Broadway show, and the night that Walter Kerr uh, was in the audience was the biggest night. You know, everybody, the whole cast was flipping. It was fantastic. And they all where is he sitting? Oh, no. I saw him, actually. You know, look at that. Gee, he's not as tall as I thought he was. And the, th- and the night before, uh, uh, in the same theater, that people like uh, Paul Newman had been there and Daryl Zanuck had been there. Nobody mentioned, you know, that was nothing. But the minute that Walter Kerr came, there was an electric thing went through the cat. And so even they're affected by it. Uh, you know, in other words, on the other side of the footlight, that's also happened. Uh, this attitude of removal, he says, uh, and that's a good point, indirect spectatorism, this attitude of removal is not confined to the sedentary middle age, but is totally accepted by the young. By the time they're 14, most kids today have lost their interest as participants in sports. They don't want to grow up to be baseball players. Uh, prize fighters or football heroes. No contemporary Frank Merriwell goes to college today with the hope of, quote, making the team unless he weighs over 240 pounds or is at least 6 feet 8. The players who will be on the team are already scouted and evaluated by professionals when they were in junior high and once on the team they're rarely looked up to as heroes. They are in fact commonly referred to by the other students as jocks, beefs, and apes and are regarded as creatures apart, professional entertainers, gladiators. Well, that in the world, of course, I say, and, I, and I'm going to throw in something here and add this to what uh, Roger has to say about that. I think this stems from a basic sense of inadequacy, which uh, total spectatorism has bred on people. Uh, you find that people both love and hate their showbiz characters. Uh, most people really seriously believe, well, no, what do you mean? I love Paul Newman. Oh. Well, I, I beg to differ. I suspect that, the, that, uh, that more people will devour a shred of reputed gossip about the person that they 
repeatedly love than any other single character in the world. In other words, people love to see their heroes fall even more than they love to see them go up. And I predict that in another year, there's going to be guys after Joe Namath's scalp. They're going to be screaming bloody murder. Their faces are going to be red, and they're going to be out there throwing beer cans down at Trey Stadium. Because the fall of a hero is often much more exciting to the rube than the rise of the hero. Because he is now assured that he is superior. He can throw a beer can down at Joe Namath. And Joe Namath can do nothing except limp off the field in defeat. The rube is never defeated because he never participates. And that's basic rubeism right there. I mean, he's, he's continually sitting on the sidelines writing a snide letter, which is not signed. Uh, he, is, he is, yeah, oh, this is, this is basic rube. And by the way, I would have to also add, there's other things that the rube does. He believes in uh, Dear Abby. He, he, he actually believes that the, <laughs> the people who answer questions in newspapers are qualified to answer them. And, he, and, he, and he, he, he thinks of these as experts. He said, hey, did you see what Dear Rampy said the other day? You know, she said that, that about that kid, you know, that kid that, that the school comes home with a long hair, that uh, she said to get him a haircut. You know, I've been saying it for years. And, uh, you know, she really's got a head on her shoulders. <laughs> but this, this is basic rube uh, attitudes. Now, another th- thing I'd like to point out, too, that, that, uh, that Roger uh, doesn't point out, that there are rube sports that are more, that are, let's say, super rube sports. Uh, for example, the roller derby. Uh, there's uh, TV wrestling. Uh, these, these are sports where the super rube really is at his best. And, and uh, I, I would also like to say this, that the rube secretly likes fixed games. He likes games that are fixed because he likes to feel that he's on in the inside. Uh, he does. He also likes to, yes, have you noticed how sports guys will eat up the idea that maybe Denny, uh, whatever his name is, Denny McLean, was involved with gambling? Oh, wow, that's the biggest story of the year. Not that Denny McLean won 31 games, but that he, you know, he might have made some bets on a football team. That this is exciting to a sport fan. And incidentally, it also makes him again feel superior. A sport fan, or a rube, I shouldn't say sport fans, the rube loves to feel superior uh, in his inferiority. As he wallows in his in his formica apartment, you see, surrounded by his half-empty Valentine beer cans, and his flickering TV set, you know, and the and the marching squadrons of cockroaches that move across his his uh, J.C. Penney carpet that he bought, he loves to feel that he's on top of it, he's with it, you know. And another thing that the Rube loves is packaged vacations. Uh, he loves the two-week trip that includes everything, and at, at the bottom it says including tips. He loves that. <laughs> and it's, this is, a, you know, it's a big, now, by the way, uh, Roger also points out that, uh, that one of the other extracurricular sports of the, of the robe is seduction. When a basic attempts to hustle a lady basic, he first tries to get her drunk. Yes, this is a robe characteristic, very much so. Then he begins grabbing her and says, Oh, come on, what's the matter with you? He considers this a very persuasive question. It keeps wrestling and grabbing and repeating it until he either succeeds or is rebuffed. <laughs> At which point he says, I knew there was something wrong with you. And, uh, you know, the next day he's got uh, all kinds of rumors about the girl. F, the vacation is also a, a big point of the, his life and the weekend trip. The vacation is included under hobbies, but it is for the basic rule much more. It is a ritual. 
It is the one time he's on his own, away from his job, away from the box, but never, of course, away from himself. Summer is the season for the great rube move. That's one word, rube move. When June comes busting out all over, you can spot cars full of them on every major artery, their faces set in a terrible look of purpose. Their purpose is, first, get there. Second, immediately then, measure the gas mileage it took for them to get there, and then talk about that for months. What? <laughs> That's so true. What? <laughs> well, uh, he says, uh, trip time is a time for food. His meccas are any state with vacation land printed on its license plates. Also on the paper placemats in roadside restaurants or any historical landmark. That's in caps. Or any authentic reconstruction with attendants wearing period costumes. Or any World's Fair or any place he didn't see last year because he knows the fun people aren't there. Trip time is time for fun food. Anything that comes in a wrapper on a paper plate with a flag on it or is over... <laughs> <laughs> or is over eight inches high with a maraschino cherry on top. And, as always, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, and pizzas. A rube child can smell a pizza at a distance of 1,500 yards with the wind against it. Rubes never eat the specialty of the region, ever, unless it's been breaded and deep-fried so it tastes exactly like a French fry and comes with ketchup. Their vacation pastimes are, one, literary, two, eating, sleeping, or sitting in a Howard Johnson. Three, squeezing into the most crowded part of a beach and greasing one another. Four, walking slowly and suspiciously down the main street of a resort town and comparing the menu prices posted in different windows. Five, spotting license places, plates from back home and accosting the drivers. Six, sitting in their own cars overlooking any place called scenic and reading a newspaper as they do. Seven, buying postcards. Eight, buying fake Dresden figurines in a cut-rate Armenian store to remind them of the rugged coast of Maine. <laughs> Have you ever been to Bar Harbor? It's ten of those places. <laughs> Vacationing rubes all look as if someone blew a bugle at 4 a.m. and they all got up and got dressed in the dark. The, the females no longer wear men's shirts, capri pants, and rollers in their hair, but are now seen in casual wear, recommended by Women's Day and the supermarket Vogue. They wear mini skirts, Bermudas, bell-bottom slack suits made from flamboyant prints, reminiscent of the rainforest, halters, large hats with Daycon ponytails attached, and stacked heel sandals. They like plastic articles in which forms of marine life can be embedded or any straw article with shells on it, or fun jewelry shaped like flora or fauna. They carry satchelly handbags decorated with, one, plastic flowers, two, alligators, three, carrots, and wear sunglasses encrusted with busted glass. <laughs> For non-casual occasions, they have at least one pastel-colored outfit which is, quote, matched pink or powder blue sweater, skirt, stubby shoes, and a jacket with fur trim. The male, in addition to their cameras, wear those sports shirts in inexplicable colors, which even when new, look as if they've been washed 12 times, which cost $4.95. You know those curious plaids they always wear? <laughs> the amount of basic pays for his shirts is in some way permanently impressed on his mind. 
he will spend $20 in a bar, buy a $3,800 car, a 600-color TV set, but will never, ever spend more than $6 on a shirt unless he's on a golf or a bowling team, in which case he'll pay anything they ask. <laughs> oh, man, this is, a, this is a very funny book. And, uh, you know, maybe there is a slow leak in Iowa. I don't know. <laughs> That's the Great Rube Revolution by Roger Price. Incidentally, uh, I'd like to I'd like to also add one more point here: that we in America have suddenly become aware of our peasantry. Every other country in the world knows all about its peasantry and has a word for it. For example, there is a word called. Well, have you ever heard the word the lumpen proletariat? Well, that's all that Roger's describing here. And we have a great body of hot dog eaters, ketchup sloppers, the ones who wear the harlequin white glasses with the blue busted glass all over them, the ladies with the blue hair sitting endlessly in Howard Johnson's. This is all part of the peasantry, the bourgeoisie. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's part of life. Now, the problem with the intellectual, and that possibly includes Roger, is that he considers those people the enemy. Well, are they? The question I'm asking, are they? Or are they ultimately the ones who will fight the wars and, you know, build the bridges and do all the things that uh, have to be done? They're the guys that drive the trucks, that deliver the beer so that Roger can enjoy it at his party, you know? And ultimately, you know, we're all part of it together. Ah, the great lumpen proletarian. By the way, I could stand a cheeseburger and a good A&W root beer right now. <laughs>